Welcome to Sportsy. Let's talk sports. We've been talking to athletes. We've been talking to administrators. Uh, we've been talking to league owners. We've been talking to multiple people. But today we have somebody who is the one who defines the rule, how it should be done. He is the one who takes care of the rule makers or the rule keepers, which we call. We are today. We have somebody who is the chief umpire, chief of the umpire of the championship that we have in the world. Please welcome Adrian Wilson, a seasoned business guy, but passionate tennis player. And last 29 years, he has been part of Wimbledon, and he is today the chief umpire of the championship. Welcome you all to Sportsy. Let's talk sports. As we know, uh, as you guys know, that we've been talking to a lot of athletes, or we've been talking to team owners uh, or administrators. we never get a chance to talk to somebody who follows the rules and regulations and make sure the people follow it and the game happens accordingly we know people everybody scared of those people uh, but at the same time there are people uh, who are doing that role phenomenally well i think 100% of them it's a tremendous respect to them when uh, you have to make sure that you are you cannot make any mistake and the responsibility on you to make the game happen so today we have with us uh, adrian wilson he is a seasoned business guy from central london been a player while growing up but after that he, he didn't let go the passion for tennis and for last many 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 years if i can if i exactly got the number right last 29 years he is been associated with wimbledon on the umpiring capacity and today we have with us mr adrian wilson who is the chief umpire of the championship wimbledon so adrian uh, welcome to the show uh sportsy let's Thank talk sports much. and absolutely just yes and great to have you here and the all thing happened because of on my show first time i'm having a co-host which is a dear friend who is been a passionate player he played at different level in india uk continued playing and getting associated with tennis which is his love as well along with the corporate job i think it's a hats off to him dr prashant lele he is my co-host today so prashant welcome Thank on the show Thank you, Sid. It's a pleasure yes. to be here. Adrian, I'm going to get to my questions uh, here, and uh, my first question is: What attracted you to tennis, and was tennis always your preferred choice? Yeah, parents played tennis, uh, and they were involved in my local tennis club. So I guess that's how I sort of got involved in tennis as a sport. Um, I used to play as a junior, and then, like so many players, when you played in tournaments, especially better tournaments when you lost you then had to umpire the matches of the other players and so because i wasn't that great uh, i got to do a lot of umpiring and basically the rest after that is uh, the rest after that is history uh, when i was at school my school's sport was focused very particularly on rugby and cricket so uh, i played hockey and tennis So you can imagine, like I didn't really fit into the uh, standard uh, thing about what the school was supposed to be, uh, what the school was supposed to be doing, and so uh, we got shunned a little bit. Uh, the people that played hockey, uh, hockey and tennis, uh, but you know we did pretty well at tennis. Um, uh, in in the UK, there was a competition called the Midland Bank National Schools Competition, and I was lucky 
with my group of players that I was at when I was at the school. We won that competition a couple of times. So um, uh, I think a bit of success. And then I went on to carry on playing uh, at university as well. So that's how I got involved in tennis. And then how I also got involved in officiating at the same time. Excellent. I think that is what a journey is, is the passion for the game and continued with it. I think that is what uh, every person's dream is. It's like, if you can combine your passion with your profession, I think that's, that's, the, that's your ikigai. And uh, it's a phenomenal thing. Yes, we, you've been a player and you have done, uh, as a player, had a different life and last 29 years officiating. So, it is all, we are always curious. I have I've had opportunity to see the games at Wimbledon, uh, and it's 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 an amazing scenario. But I'm sure that you don't get to see the game the way we see it as a spectator. So, what is the typical day in the life of a chief umpire before and during the tournament, during the championship? Yeah, sure. So, as the chief umpire, it doesn't mean I'm the best umpire, or in fact that I do any umpiring anymore. I, I did umpire, and I worked on court for the best part of 19 years as a chair umpire. But now the chief umpire's role is one which is much more involved in the administration uh, of, of mm. the sport. And so um, preparations for the championships, it's a year-round occasion. So uh, we start preparing for the following year championships at Wimbledon, almost the day after the tournament finishes. So uh, on the Monday afterwards, we're already starting to think about how we can improve things and to get, pre uh, get prepared uh, for the tournament the, uh, the following year. So it's a year-round mm. thing. Some times of the year are, are obviously busier than in others. For example, uh, we ask uh, officials to apply to work at the championships in December. So that's quite a busy time of the year. And then after we receive those applications, we obviously have to um, sift through them. And then we make our selections uh, in early, early March. Uh, so that's quite a big task as well. We have about, in total, about 550 officials that wow. we select for Wimbledon. So that's for the qualifying week and the two weeks of main draw. Some work both, some work one or the other. So it's quite a lot of people that are involved uh, in, in managing across that three-week period. Um, you know, uh, we update procedures. We update the officials' manuals, which is the operating procedures for the officials. We need to get certain information out of the officials that are working the event. So we have to deal with that all in advance. They all have to wear the very smart Ralph Lauren uniform. Uh, so we have to deal with uh, sourcing and making sure the uniform fits beautifully, which I think it looks very classy. It's, it's a very it's nice uniform. Uh, uh, it, it looks good, doesn't it? I think it really does. Yeah, it, it looks and, good. Uh, and, and, and like everything, <laughs> and like everything, you know, what you want to do is you want to make sure that everything is prepared before you arrive at the tournament. And, um, you know, we have a meeting on the first day of the tournament where all the officials get together. And that's really the start of the, uh, the, start of the tournament. Everyone's very excited on the first morning. They go, they arrive, they get their assignments for the first day. They put all their kit in their lockers. And then we have this big, big briefing. There's a real buzz of an atmosphere around uh, around Wimbledon when all these uh, all these officials arrive, as I say, all in their very smart uniforms, and um, yeah, it's a, it's an expectation yeah. and also a bit of fear of not really knowing what's going to happen. Remember, you know, officiating it's a live sport. Uh, there's no rehearsals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to think on your feet, and, and and you never know what can happen, and and that's why we get all these preparations done in advance 
so that we can concentrate on matters that arrive during the course of the tournament or arise during the course of the tournament. So my day during the tournament, uh, I arrive on site about quarter past seven in the morning. We have a fair amount of administration to do before the officials arrive any time from 10 o'clock onwards. And then obviously matches start at 11 o'clock. Yeah. We have uh, two roofs now at Wimbledon on the centre court and on number one court. The number one court roof was new last year in 2019. Uh, and that means that play can continue on those courts up until 11 o'clock at night. So I think the latest I've got away from Wimbledon was about uh, half past 12 at night. Uh, so by the time I got home, had a little bit of sleep, uh, I was almost coming, uh, almost coming back out. But it's not the same as, luckily, we, we, we don't have floodlights and outside play. We play on a live surface, which is grass. So it gets a bit slippery at night. So we're not quite like in Australia or like at the US Open where, uh, and I remember back in the Olympics in Beijing in 2008, um, play finished at quarter to four in the morning. Wow. And then all the officials had to be back on site. Well, the referees team had to be back on site by something like eight o'clock in the morning. And it was like, uh, it was hardly worth leaving the venue to, to go back. So sometimes it can be very long days. I'm sure that is uh, that is aligned with the stress, aligned with the passion and the liking. I, I think those are the days that you cherish. Uh, for as a spectator, I have loved it with the strawberry cream and everything else around it. So uh, yeah, so I I have I, I have lot of questions, but I think I I'm going to pass on the question to uh, my co-host because he's also been a line umpire, and I want an umpire to umpire question, a line umpire to chief umpire question coming up next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> okay. You know, clearly, you know, over the last 29 years, you know, you know, some of the images I think are still burnt in memory from the past. So, uh, you know, you just tend to observe these things more as you get into that that line of work. And uh, I've had a few. I've noticed a few changes, but you know, in your 29 years that you spent at Wimbledon. What is what are your observations on how the things have changed? You know, during these times, it's uh, it must have been it must be a fascinating insight into the way things have evolved in the game of tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, over the last twenty nine years, I started officiating in nineteen ninety two was my first Wimbledon, but I started officiating at local junior tournaments in nineteen ninety, um, and and I can remember a lot about that first year that I worked at Wimbledon. Um, uh, I can't really remember how old I was, but I think I was about 18, maybe, in my first, uh, my, my first Wimbledon. Uh, and I remember walking through the gates into this meeting that I've just described, this first day meeting. And I was there and there were all these other people around me, of which I didn't really know very many of who they were. And, um, you know, it, it was, it, it, it's changed a lot over the years. I think probably when I started, there were probably 10 of us under 40. Uh, who when I started officiating and uh, it's obviously changed significantly over the years and um, you know we now have a very wide and diverse cross-section uh, of society that works as umpires. In the old days I'm going to say it used to be quite military because it was quite a uh, it was quite a military thing to be an umpire or a referee you know uh, being in charge of people and in charge of the match and things like that and um, you know, it, as I say, it, it's changed now 
so dramatically from from those sort of things. Uh, there are more overseas officials. Um, you know, it, it, it was very when the ITF Grand Slam team started in 1990. That that was really the first time that a significant number of overseas officials worked at the Grand Slams, uh, and I think the team originally numbered eight or nine people. And certainly now at Wimbledon, we have about out of the uh, so at main draw we have about 350 people, um, and I would suggest that probably about 150 of those people are from overseas. So it's it's it, it's a much much bigger uh, cross section than it used to be in the old days uh, when there were very, very few overseas officials when I, uh, when I started. And um, I have to say, I'm not sure that the techniques have changed a lot over the years of being a line umpire. Um, you know, maybe we'll talk about what are some of those characteristics are in due course that makes a good line umpire, Brashan. We, we, we can look at your characteristics <laughs> and see uh, what your characteristics are and, and, and what you make as a good line umpire. But... Um, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, calling the line has pretty much stayed the same over the years. Uh, being a chair umpire has changed a lot. Technology, you guys are in IT, yeah. and the technology has changed a lot over the years. When I first worked at Wimbledon, we did have a, a, an electronic line calling system. That was called um, Cyclops, yeah. and Cyclops was just on the service line. That was introduced in 1980. Can you believe that? Uh, about how long ago that was introduced and um, uh, you know it, it, it was a it was a system that had lights and a sound if the ball came down and broke certain beams that went across the court so that bit of technology was there and obviously today we have Hawkeye uh, uh, which obviously allows uh, lots of reviews on, on on every line and the players can challenge on that uh, we also saw in the old days and I'm not sure whether Prashant was an umpire at this point in time but we used to have a net cord judge as well so somebody no. that used to sit on the net uh, and yeah. and with the ball touched the top of the net and went over they used to shout let or net very loudly uh, and, and 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 off you go it was often the person who got run into or alternatively got hit on the head by a service return it was quite a dangerous dangerous job uh, when I was a line umpire very few Few people really like doing it but I have to say I think I've had some of my best moments on court and, and my best performances were when I was on the net I'm only joking it's like absolutely fine I was a good line umpire in, in the old days I was a good line umpire but certainly um, the officials getting hit on the head um, did uh, did sort of catalyze a change and now we have a trinity net cord device these days mm -hmm. yeah. which uh, means that there is no net cord judge anymore and there is instead a sensors on the net. So if the ball hits the net and then goes over, it obviously makes uh, makes a noise. And, and, and finally, we used to have scorecards when you were an umpire. Certainly when I umpired my first matches at Wimbledon, which I umpired my first match, I think, in the juniors in 1994, I think it was. Um, uh, we had scorecards. So you used to go and get your scorecard. It used to be either three sets, or if you did a long match, it used to be five sets. It used to fold out even bigger, and you used to have your scorecard, and then you were responsible for marking your scorecard, uh, and then sending it back to the office at the end of the match for the person in the umpire's office, the chief umpire's office, to make sure you'd put in all the very last points and circled the set points and everything else like that, and, uh, you know, uh, there's lots of things to do, but the accuracy of your scorecard was very important. Things then changed over the years, and we had very small 
what we call PDAs, which are sort of like mobile phone size today. And, and, and you'll see today on the chair, uh, the umpires at Wimbledon, they use the same tablets that are used week in, week out on the ATP and WTA tour. They're a big, um, I think they're a Panasonic tablet, I think, to be honest, but I can't quite remember. Not alone. Not sure if I'm allowed to make product placement on this, uh, <laughs> on this podcast. But anyway, um, I think they're the ones that we use. And, um, you know, it's a very sophisticated system now that um, g- communicates uh, not only with um, uh, the office, you know, they're the back at the tournament, but obviously it provides live scoring. And, um, you know, you can now hook on the ACP WTA app or the IBM app at Wimbledon, and you can watch what's absolutely happening point by point. Yeah, uh, and, and even whether there's, a, you know, first service faults and everything else like that. So technology has changed dramatically o- o- over the years. Fabulous, because I still remember the images of uh, line umpires sitting down during play. And, and you know, I, I only started noticing these things when I got into it, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> it makes for fascinating viewing, I must say. Yeah. And, uh, and when he spoke about the line umpire, I, uh, the, the net umpire, remember uh, the umpire should sit with the finger on the net, if I'm not wrong. It, yeah. it, it, it was like this, yeah. Was, that is the net court judge that Adrian was talking about. The, yeah, exactly. The, the man in the firing line. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh, that's that's fabulous. I think it, you know, it gives a, an insight into how things have evolved in the in the in the life of a sport, uh, if you can use that term. But uh, it makes for fascinating listening. I think. Now, so uh, on that note, Adrian, you know, uh, another interesting question which comes to mind is, you know, if you had a wish list that you were granted then is there anything you could think of doing differently for or by the officials uh, during the championships or generally in the sport of tennis in the in the officiating world is there something that you would particularly like to see or happen um i it's it's it's, it's a difficult one um uh, i i think probably uh um, being somebody who's responsible for officials and, and I'm responsible for hiring the officials, for paying them, for clothing them, for feeding them, for making sure they get their accreditation and transport and everything else like that. And obviously how much you're involved in that depends at the different level of tournament that you're working. Yeah. But I suppose in some respects, I think um, uh, the one thing I've always been quite passionate about is, is for people who really do make the sport their profession is to ensure that they really do get paid a fair amount of money for, for the job that they're doing. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we, we might talk about it in a bit, but, um, you know, officiating in some respects, especially in tennis, you should start it off as a hobby. You know, it, it's something that you enjoy doing, I think, as we were talking about. It's something that you're passionate about. Uh, it's something that you want to be involved with, not in a funny stalker type of way, but it's, a, you know, it, it's about being involved in the sport. And I think that's a great, great thing. But I think it's really important that, you know, you start off as a hobby. And, and if you're good at it and you show good aptitude, sorry about that. If you show good aptitude, then I think, uh, you know, it will, uh, uh, you will do well and you'll move forward, uh, move forward in the sport. But I do think, I, I do feel sorry a little bit sometimes for uh, some of the umpires, especially if you think that uh, uh, the umpire working the final at Wimbledon, he yeah. gets paid the same as the umpire who works on the first day of the championship. So there's no differential. It's a, it, it's, it's a fixed fee rate 
uh, per day. And so whether you're umpiring a match where the winner is going to get £2 million pounds, yeah. or whether you're umpiring a match in the first round that might last 45 minutes and be 6-1, 6-1, you technically get paid the same, uh, the same amount of money. And I think uh, in my observations, it's the one thing that when you talk to some of the players, they are... Um, uh, they, they they don't have great visibility on how much the officials get uh, how much the officials get paid and I think you know we're talking about officials who are at the very very top of their sport yeah uh, and if you think about um, uh, some other sports that if you were involved in if you were uh, the lead gang in the NFL for example you know the salaries of those officials are significantly more than the salaries of the officials in, in tennis, for example. But, you know, it, 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 it's also a way of life. Uh, it's also a, 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 a particular style of life that you like. You, you like being involved in the sport. And I think it's about everything in due course. It's about a balance, isn't it, between, okay. uh, uh, between that. I agree. I think that's a very valid point. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a passion combined with, you know, what you aspire to be in the sport. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's so, fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so Adrian, I think uh, we, we, you you put Prashant at spot about asking for his trait as a line umpire and uh, what is his qual qualities of a line umpire. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I, I really want to know that what are the actually the personality traits of being a good umpire. I, I, let's not say good umpire of being an umpire because finally everybody wants to be good, better, best, whatever it is. Uh, but what are those uh, traits and also. Uh, additional question because the change of technology has started creating doubts on the judgment which has been taken by umpire uh, so how do the umpires adapt to that change as well that okay i gave it out, out but uh, the, the the player called it and it uh, it is it is something it is not i may not feel good about it so what are the personal traits and how the technology has actually the umpires have adapted to the technology yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, yeah. Well, one of the key requirements of uh, of being a good line umpire is um, the ability to drink lots of coffee and to play cards uh, cards when you're not on court. These are these are two of the key uh, requirements. I'm only joking, um, but you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, the characteristics of being a line umpire haven't changed in the last twenty or thirty years. You you must have good eyesight. I mean that's pretty straightforward because you're going to be responsible for calling whether the ball is uh, the ball is in or out. Uh, you know you have to concentrate hard because um, we often make lots of mistakes when uh, you lose concentration and uh, and you lose concentration uh, at the beginning of a session or maybe at the end of a session because you're thinking about that coffee you're going to be going to drink for example or something like that and and, and that's when line umpires and chair umpires. Uh, can make uh, can make yeah. their most mistakes. So concentration is very important. I think also um, uh, a desire to improve. I think is always good for officials. So the the the, the desire to learn off other officials, to see what uh, to to see what works, see what doesn't work. I think that's that's really important, and to want to continue to improve. You know, um, and, and equally, I think a little bit, uh, which we'll come on to talk to in a second. It, it's about having a mental attitude, which you are obviously going to try and get everything as right as you can, but you have to accept that sometimes people make mistakes. We're only human, right? Everyone's only human. If we weren't only human, we'd have Hawkeye live calling all the lines, right? And there, there would never be any mistakes, but you know, that's, that's, that's not the case. And we are only human. And I think it takes a very special type of person 
to be able to think that the most important call is always your next call. You can't dwell on what has happened in the past. You have to do your best going forward because you can't change any of this. If you've called the ball out and it's in or in and it's out, you can't change this. But the most important thing will be your next um, will be your next call. And I think sometimes people ask me, and I'm going to predict your question here, Sid. Sometimes people ask me, it's like, would you prefer to umpire a match in 1990 or would you prefer to umpire a match in 2020 with all the technology and everything else that there is around? And I think, you know, I think I would like to umpire the match in 2020. And I'll tell you why, because I think we provide a great service for the players. I think they, you know, with Hawkeye, uh, with the other aids that, that, are, that, that we have at our disposal, you know, nobody wants to make a mistake. And I think this is true of almost every sport, but no official goes out there on purpose to make a mistake. Everybody wants to try and get it right because you're all pulling together in the right direction. Nobody purposefully goes out to make a mistake. And so consequently off the back of that, I think I'd much rather prefer to have Hawkeye. And you know what, if, if, if I make a call and it's wrong and the player challenges it, I'm happy for that because, well, I'm not really happy for that, but I'm happy for that because I know that the player has got the right decision. And I think, you know, that's a really, uh, that's a really important uh, element going forward. Yeah, and believe me, you actually took the question away from me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, but that was the, because if, if you look at the three, three decade worth of journey, I think I was, that was my question that, okay, what was, what is it? Because Prashant also took one of my questions. I said, I want to ask you, which, where do you want to officiate? And I think you actually uh, got that question. And it's, I think it's great. It's like, and uh, accepting the technology, I think we, 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 Prashant, we come technology side. So accepting the technology and considering technology as a facilitator makes you take better decisions. And I think makes you, uh, it empowers you more. That's what I think, uh, people feel. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I think this was a great one. I completely one. agree. I completely agree. I would much rather be working on a Hawkeye code than a non-Hawkeye code. That is, uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think some people, um, I, I, I think some people when Hawkeye was introduced, I think some people were very nervous about it. Um, you know, but I think, um, in the main, um, Hawkeye is uh, is a line umpire's friend. I think it's a chair umpire's yeah. friend as well. You know, I think, um, you know, we don't get all the decisions that right. That's why some of the decisions are overturned. But I think at Wimbledon, we generally get somewhere between 75 and 80% of the calls correct that we're challenged on. But we do make mistakes. And um, I think, as I say, everyone is very pleased that, um, you know, that those mistakes can be corrected. And, you know, from my, from my observation of the performance of officials, if somebody misses one that is like one millimeter out and he calls it in, well, do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't think you can be um, too upset about that. Whilst we say you have to have 20-20 vision, I think ultimately, ultimately at the end of the day, um, that technology takes that eyesight away, <laughs> I'm afraid, <laughs> to that nth degree. So, um, you know, I, I think it's good for the players uh, and that's good for the sport. I agree yeah. completely, completely. Okay, so uh, fascinating. You know, I, I know you're, uh, you know, extremely busy professional, you know, in the, in, in the day job, so to speak. So uh, I always wonder, you know, we, we see you at different tournaments and, uh, I've always wondered, uh, how do you manage to juggle your 
day job with you know working at the highest levels in the officiating kingdom <laughs> well uh, well these days you know I, I i i spend some of my time in an office and you know me prashant i like to be out and about around the courts as a chief umpire you know you could sit in the office and and drink lots of coffee and and, and eat lots of donuts and not see anything that's going on that that's not really that's not really my style, and I, I, I know you know that. I like to be out and about, and I like to be watching uh, what's going on on court. But, um, you know, we, we, we're obviously in this situation we find ourselves in across the world today. You know, we're doing more work remotely uh, in comparison to being in the office, and, and, and you guys may well have uh, been experienced in that uh, in your other jobs uh, going forward as well. And I think uh, that's certainly how I've embraced things. Um, you know, uh, I, I've got the ability to work remotely. Uh, we have a telephone, we have Zoom, we have Skype, we have lots of other, uh, you know, uh, other, other calling systems are available, as they say. Uh, we're not just promoting those ones. And, um, you know, it's uh, uh, it, it, the only thing you have to be careful of is where you are in the world. Uh, for example, when, when, I'm in, uh, when I'm in Japan, you have to remember that you're eight hours ahead. And yeah. uh, consequently, you have to make sure that you try and work your calls or your meetings that you do virtually uh, in order to be in the right, uh, the right place <laughs> in the world that you actually are. But, um, you know, if you're normally working with either colleagues in the US or colleagues in Asia, you sort of soon understand when those time zones, uh, time zones are. So, you know, I'm lucky. I have a job that I can work remotely on. I do need to be in the office at some times, and I'm sure I will go back to the office, uh, maybe not uh, every day of every week uh, anymore, because I think perhaps the world is shifting a little bit like that. Yeah. But um, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, technology, which we benefit from on the court, is also benefiting us, uh, uh, benefiting me and allowing me to spend some time. Uh, Prashant, I, I don't spend all my life on the road. You know that. I, I, I do a few tournaments, but I do actually work properly as well. You know that. It's yeah, like I'm very aware and, of that. Yes. <laughs> and, and the one to one tournament that you do is uh, is, uh, is everybody's is envious of that. I think that is that is something that uh, is tennis to us. For me personally, that is that is tennis to me. Uh, so, uh, so I didn't. I, as Prashant just asked you about your juggling between your day work and your passion and all those things. I'm sure there's so many people who want to follow the the path that you have taken or what Prashant has taken. So, what would you have to say to someone who want to make a career in tennis umpiring? So, it could be a young young kid or somebody who is in the playing area, ending their player career. It could be anybody. But what would you want to say to them as as educational purpose? Yeah, sure. So I think it's a little bit about sort of what I said before, which is, um, you know, you, you should start off uh, tennis officiating in my mind as a hobby, you know, because of your passion and whatever for the sport. I, I think um, uh, I think officiating is very different to where it was 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, where it used to be who you knew, which is important. I think I think now um, uh, if you are if you have a good aptitude for the job or the task at hand, uh, and uh, you maybe have a bit of luck. You know, you get seen and you get to work at some tournaments where uh, you work with other officials, uh, and maybe you get some get some opportunities that way. But you know, you can also apply to work as a lot of international tournaments these days. Whereas in the old days, it was very much who you knew 
as opposed to uh, as opposed to an open application process. So, you know, there, there's lots of schools, as in courses and education, that you can take these days. And the ITF has a very good program that it runs in jointly with the ATP and WTA called the Joint Certification Program that run a series of international courses in order to certify official experience as well because as I say you know you can almost be as experienced as you want but it's about how you handle situations when you uh, when you get out there you know you you uh, I always remember a story told by one of the top umpires um, and he said he was due to be working a match at Wimbledon and uh, suddenly his match at Wimbledon because it had gone very quick on centre court his match at Wimbledon got switched and it was actually put on centre court as opposed to one of the outside courts. And he was like, I've never been on centre court before. What am I going to do? By the way, this isn't me. This is somebody else. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not a friend. Of <laughs> it is somebody else. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and so, you know, you're nervous. It's a very big court. Uh, as you say, I think, you know, everyone thinks of tennis as Wimbledon. And I think whether you are a player or an official, you know, it is your dream and your desire to either play or officiate at Wimbledon. I think, uh, if funnily enough, over and above um, lots of other tournaments, uh, other Grand Slams, and I, I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree, but some people say it's better than working at the Olympics. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that's the case, but um, yeah, that some people say that. But, you know, you, 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 this umpire, he came there and he was overtaken by the atmosphere and the event of, of umpiring on centre court. And whilst you know the rules, you know, and, and you know what you're supposed to do, sometimes things just fly out of your head and you're left there and you're thinking like, my word, what am I supposed to do? And then that's when a bit of common sense comes into play as well. And that's one of the most important traits of a, of a chair umpire is having good common sense. And so the ability to, uh, uh, and so the ability to uh, think quickly on your feet and to take the common sense uh, uh, common sense decision so experience is important uh, very much and you build that experience over time it's a bit like learning to drive a car just because you pass your driving test it doesn't mean that you're the best driver out on the road yes I know Prefant has to go and spend lots of time practicing his driving uh, in order to uh, in order to get his experience up uh, driving and of course that's the same as in officiating as well just because you pass a course it doesn't mean that you're the best umpire that there is out there. It's all about that progression and experience over over time. Excellent. I think I couldn't have put it better for to understand it's how you should look at it as a profession, or it's it's has to start with the passion. It has to start with uh, the. I think it's a very well said, and, and a lot of people who are looking at it, I'm sure they will start relating to it. So now I'm just taking it the same question a little bit ahead. How is the new generation looking at? Uh, the whole tennis as a sport and uh, what do you think uh, that you want to tell them who come to uh, who come who become players first tennis players about the work ethics or the plan b in their life or the, also importance of education about what how education is important to become a good athlete or as a for, for plan b what do you have to say about that because you have seen a lot of players coming and going so your view on that will be really great yeah, so um, uh, so I think you know from from that side of things, I think um, uh, I think officials are staying in the sport for a shorter period of time. Is my uh, is is my view. 
I think uh, in, in, in the old days, we had an official who was due to be working at Wimbledon. This would have been his 49th consecutive Wimbledon working on court, which is quite something. Um, but I have to say that I think, you know, what I've seen over the years, that officials uh, or people have come into officiating and they, you know, they, they don't spend their lifetime doing it anymore. I mean, they spend 10 or 15 years, you know, being an official. And I, I think people then move on to do, uh, move on to do other things. I mean, I think officiating is good for players uh, to come in. So if you're a good regional player or a club player, you know, I think you have a good feel for the sport. And I think that's why those people can make good officials. As I say, um, as long as they're not playing in the tournaments they're officiating in, then that's okay. Um, But, you know, ultimately there have been very few top players who have ever, uh, Mm. who have ever turned to officiating. I can think of, I can think one, Claire Wood, but outside that, I think there are few other top players who have gone into officiating. Maybe they've gone into the media or maybe they've gone yeah. into coaching or maybe they've gone into administration, running tournaments, things like that. So I, I think it's really, you know, we have a program in the UK uh, where we encourage uh, junior players uh, to get involved with officiating from the age of 16 onwards. And quite frankly, these are people who, um, uh, uh, who are good players, but they're never going to make it professionally as players. They're great club players and they continue to play. But I think it gives them an opportunity to be involved in Wimbledon, for example, at a very top level, which they otherwise might not be able to be able to do so. Okay. And uh, how, how have you seen the change of work ethics? Uh, as you said earlier, it was more of the... You're only three, hardly 10 people under the age of 40 when you started, but now you see a big diversity. So how is the work ethic changing? Because everybody talks about new generations getting new challenges to the in front of us. So what? Mm-hmm. how do you see those uh, changes in the work ethic? Because finally you have to deliver one single uniform product, but the working style is going to differ now with the diversity. So yeah, I, yeah, I think, um, uh, yeah, I, I think the work ethic has changed. Um, I think, uh, to be honest, I think the the younger officials today, I think they take it pretty much more seriously than than than, than we did thirty years ago. <laughs> put it like that. Um, I, I, I think, um, and, and I think that's a little bit about the professionalism, partly mm-hmm. in, in the officiating side of things now as well. But I think it's also that you know it's also their acknowledgement they understand uh, perhaps a bit more than we did thirty years ago about how important the role is as well. And maybe that's just the better education for those officials that are coming through. You know, um, they, 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 they work exceptionally hard. And I have to say, you know, the requirements to work at Wimbledon these days are such that they have to work more tournaments in order to, in order to work yeah. at the championships as well. You know, I remember stories when I started, uh, well, a few years before I started, but not really that many. You know, there is a new umpire he turns up on the first day of Wimbledon, never having worked Wimbledon before, and he's told to go and umpire, not a line umpire, but umpire a match on the old number one course. And that's in his first first championships. I mean, Prashant, that would never happen today. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, But, you know, so there's a significantly more training, and I think they take it much more, uh, uh, the, 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 the new generation take it much more seriously. Not that the old generation don't either, but I think the, the, the newer, younger officials uh, they're very keen to uh, well, they're very keen to show off what they can do as well, and they they try exceptionally hard uh, to be the very best that they absolutely can. 
That's a that's a fun insight, I think. You know, in in terms of how how things are changing. But uh, uh, again, you know, sticking to that theme, um, uh, we see so many you know, or a few tournaments happening, or a few exhibition events happening currently in the new in the new world. With uh, you know, they look quite different. With no spectators, no ball boys even, and then you have the most important, I think, change as far as. the way i see it no officials no line officials either do you think this is a kind of catch on um, moving forward well um i think to see something that we didn't think was going to happen um uh introduced and i think this is the kai live experiment let's put it like that um you know uh, playing on a single court indoors in milan is very different to playing on 18 courts outside uh in New York for example. Yeah. And I think, you know, in so far as we've had the great home working experience and experiment uh, that we're all currently going through at the moment, I think we're going to see the great Hawkeye Live experiment unfold uh before our before our eyes. You know, I can absolutely see why uh, uh why it's uh, something that needs to be uh, considered. However, in my view, um Hawkeye Live is quite mechanical. You know, um personally, the one thing I like is I quite like hearing and seeing how, how the crowd their challenging, how the uh, players interact with the chair umpire when they're challenging. Does the point have to be replayed or run out of all their chair would like to challenge? They have I think the sport has a lot of drama that goes with officials on court and I think perhaps Hawkeye Live as I say in my mind makes it a bit more uh, more mechanical and um uh, whilst it's great for the accuracy of the players you know we very rarely see players go down to zero challenges in a set very very rarely and so consequently off the back of that I think normal Hawkeye is there as a check on the line umpires but it's not um yeah it it's not taking over from those line umpires you know we 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 do a good job in accuracy and everything else i think also the other thing is we get rid of line umpires completely um you know we 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 talk about new people coming into the sport and 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 in reality uh when you're a new umpire or a new official you don't get to sit in the high chair straight away you know you call the lines first that's yeah. how you learn or trade that's the bit about so i said it's about experience because even if you're working on the lines you hear how the other chair umpire will you see what the other chair umpires do you see how they interact with the players you perhaps see some good things you perhaps see some bad things who knows but you see a lot of things when you're on the line i'm sure Kevin knows that i'm sure he's watched a lot of umpires at Wimbledon when he's been on the lines and he sees probably more than i do about what goes on out there because i can't be everywhere at every single time but i think you know if you if you have hawkeye live you don't have these uh, uh, opportunities for line umpires and therefore perhaps you know my question is is how do young officials progress into the sport and 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 how does that work so you know it's um uh, and and if you have hawkeye live you know is the next step that the chair umpire isn't on course anymore maybe the chair umpire is in a, is in a booth and uh you know he 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 doesn't need to sit on court to announce the score you know he he can do that from somewhere else and so um 
yeah, I, I think there are implications that need to be fully worked through, but the, the Hawkeye Live great experiment will be interesting to see in New York. That, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I'm quite looking forward to the US Open actually on that note. Yeah, so I think it, it is great. I think, uh, 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 so I didn't, two, two technology back people talking to you and passion about sports coming together. So our questions goes towards that. And uh, at any given time, we tell we, we know that sports will be never overtaken by the robots. It is going to be human thing. And uh, that is what we want. And my last question to you for today, uh, though I have a list of almost 15 more questions, but I'm going to keep it as a last question here, uh, is Wimbledon, the whole SW19, uh, the Wimbledon championship has been Navratilova, it's been Baker, it's been Edberg, it's been Sampras, it's been uh, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, it's, and uh, now it's the new generation we're talking about. Uh, Roger Federer and uh, Djokovic. It's, it's phenomenal. That is what Wimbledon to us is. And I think I, for those athletes as well, that is what tennis is. Everybody has said that. Probably ex other than Rafa who feels uh, French Open is only, only tennis. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, when that is what tennis is for us as a spectator, what has been your moment on the Wimbledon uh, court uh, over the years and who are those players we don't want to talk about uh, it's who are those players that really kept a mark in your journey as well uh, so yeah. yes so i've been lucky to work at wimbledon over uh, over over 29 years and obviously it's great to be there during the three weeks of the championships and um, some special moments for me i mean both on course and off court you know there have been a few um, you know, I, I uh, uh, and the players have changed, and obviously we've seen players come through who have then become fantastic champions over the time. I remember my first Wimbledon final that I did as a line umpire was in uh, 1995, which was the Becker Sampras final that year. Wow. Uh, I remember I did the ladies final two years later uh, when Martina Hingis won. Uh, I did my first uh, uh, my first boys final. Uh, was with Roger Federer in 1998 when he won the junior championships and obviously then you know came on years thereafter 2001 2002 to obviously be the champion that he was I remember I did one of Rafa Nadal's first matches at Wimbledon on course eight when he was a very young uh, a young player uh, I remember that uh, uh, quite a lot partly because there was lots of people watching around the court uh, which you don't necessarily get, but you know you knew something special was happening there. I remember my, uh, I remember I did the mixed doubles final in 2002. Now uh, you're trying to remember what it was, and that was very special. I was very lucky on that day because um, uh, the Williams sisters uh, they were about to go to a third set in the ladies doubles final, and if they'd have gone to a third set in the ladies doubles final, I would have played my mixed doubles final on number one court which of course is a great court, but it's not quite the same as doing your final on centre court. And uh, luckily they came, I think, back from 3-5 down in the second set and they won the second set and then they won the, uh, the championship and then I managed to get on centre court to do that. And, um, you know, so there, there, there have been some amazing times, you know, Andy Murray winning the, uh, winning the first, uh, yes. his first championship in 2013 after all the drama of what had happened the previous year at the championship 
championships in 2012 and then obviously with the Olympics just three weeks later and him winning the Olympics then. So there are lots and lots of special moments at Wimbledon. Uh, they're ones that we cherish and obviously we know that we'll be back there next year in 2021 to make some more memories. And believe me right now, I just... Uh... Uh, you were just talking about the the the, the milestones. I, I was getting goosebumps remembering those moments because the, all, everything you spoke about is yes, it it is live in my head. Uh, and as, as a viewer, and I can I can only imagine what it what it means to be uh, in in the in the line of duty when you are in. It's uh, really really amazing uh, to speak with you, and I think uh, my viewers are going to just love uh, today's episode and. Uh, Really thank you and uh, we want to see you uh, soon. Hopefully, uh, we can have a different chat some at, at your available time later. And thank you, Prashant, uh, to, to make it happen. I think it was really wonderful. It's a, it's a different journey in, in, in whatever I've been talk, doing on, on my chat show. This is a completely different aspect of the sports uh, is all about. It's a whole ecosystem we talk about sports. And this, is, this fits, fits the perfect, uh, completes the puzzle. <laughs> thank you thank you adrian and thank you Sid. it was it was great to be here absolutely thanks very much very nice to chat to you both uh keep safe and keep safe to all your viewers on the channel so uh, yes. thank you thank, thank you, you too, adrian. thank take you care. you too take care yeah bye 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 bye